Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Benchtown TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Dave, Jimmy, and Kathleen. And today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magicians, Season 5. This is going to be Episode 9, entitled Cello, Squirrel, Daffodil. And for me, this is the episode of the Dark King reveal, the DK, the motherfucking DK, a.k.a. Roop diggity dog Chatwin, which your boy (laughs) called way back in the day. So I will take my victory lap when that scene comes around. And we also finally get to see Katie and Zelda, who I've been crying for. And Plum, too. We got to see what's up with her. So for me, this was a pretty good episode. Whoa, you're leaving out someone else's return. Hyman, baby. Hyman, yes, absolutely. Be the nickel. (laughs) Yeah, so the description of the episode is Penny only wears vintage, Alice rejects a sandwich, and Julia does a thing, which I'm a little confused about that last part. Julia does a thing. They all do a thing. Seb, Elliot, Julia, that's kind of a weird thing to put, but yeah, Brian, that's probably the best rook call of, of the pod uh jimmy's carnival rowan was pretty damn good but jimmy's thing, carnival rowan was ridiculous i have to say was, but i didn't care about that one, that one. <laughs> this one was tough to hear you call that so early and i want to give it up for all the the past vets who have to put on a good face a poker face because it was hard to kind of come up with questions be like oh what do you what do you think that without being like you me, got it, you bitch. Me personally, <laughs> I was sitting there like, fuck this guy. I can't yeah. believe he just called that. And I'm trying to divert the conversation away from Rupert. I'm like, ah, he's dead, B Toms. Don't even have him on your radar anymore. It's not even worth it. But it That's was a great the beauty. Call. That's the beauty of Rooks and Vets right there. Yep, exactly. That I'll is. tell you, Brian laid out some legit receipts. He laid it all out perfectly. The one thing you didn't say is, and he's British. Like, I was yeah. like, okay, no, we're just not going to say that he's British, just like the chat ones. Okay, fine, it's fine. <laughs> but all credit to you, B Toms. Take your victory lap. Man. Yeah, you incredible. earned it. Love it. I am basking in the glow right now. <laughs> and I remember when you texted the group before that episode, you called it. You were like, I have a theory. I'm doing some research. And I was like, no research, bitch. I thought you were Googling stuff. And you're like, no, nope, yeah. I'm going back. And you pulled that scene from season three, which is perfection, chef's kiss. Yeah, well, that was the only time you really physically see Rupert Chatwin in the series before season five, I think. So once I had that idea, I went right back. Great episode, by the way, Be the Penny. Oh, oh yeah, look, and they showed it in this episode. We got that episode double dose. Totally. So we've got four kind of storylines here. We're going to we got Plum and Penny traveling in time. We've got Katie and Alice in the quote unquote library. Elliot, Julia, Margo, and Fenn escaping <clears throat> after the Dark King gets killed and we're or killed, quote unquote. We're going to kind of morph those two storylines together. So it's maybe like three and a half storylines we're going with here. But Tags, you want to kick us off? Let's start with Penny and Plum because I feel like they commit the most amount of time in this episode to that storyline. So we start off with just a great callback. It's Penny in the physical cottage, but immediately he knocks over a trophy, which we find out to be Quentin's 198th annual Welters game trophy. 
I love that they plant this seed because it comes back in the episode, but all the nods to Q are just, I appreciate them so much. Then we get Plum reappearing and she's surprised to learn from Penny that she's been gone for three weeks. You know, she's asking, where's Julia? Where's Lipson? And Plum starts kind of describing where she was. She said, I was in this room with no doors, no windows. There was no one else there. Penny calls Lipson in. Clearly she's back from her coma, who is examining her and says, listen, Plum, count yourself lucky. There's no memory curses. So I think you have all your memories and by all accounts, you're perfectly healthy. So I'm going to grab a bottle of tequila and enjoy my, what did she say? Post-coma professor hours or something like that. So she dips. Boy, does Vinshan love timey-wimey shit or what? I feel like every show we cover, there's time differences. There's, oh man, it's good. But I've been listening to all the episodes I haven't been on in a while, but just asking for Plum. And this is, this is a good return. I mean, there, we're going to get more of it, obviously. But I love the storyline with Penny. And I really appreciate it. Just Plum plum line where she's talking about like leave the ranks of chatwins who go by middle names nicknames or you know super villain monikers hi plum fucking chatwin curse freak and then it just pays off in another storyline later when we do get the rupert chatwin reveal because he's rupert sebastian chatwin and it just it's a nice it's not the same storyline in the episode but it does have a good payout by the end um but I also like Lipson's little dig at Plum where she goes, besides combination skin, you're you're fine. <laughs> it's <just laughs> so good. Girls are so catty. I hate them. <laughs> Plum is so pretty and her accent is so quiche. It just completes the look. I just love that scene, that opening scene. I mean, the, the lights come through the window, just hitting her so well. And Lipson, I mean, glad to have her back. I just love how she just talks shit to Penny. You know, she doesn't really see Penny as, I mean, he is Professor Adiyoti to her kind of, but he kind of tries to talk to her through her kind of experience in this room. And she says like, wow, this is like the first time you're actually trying to teach us shit. And he's like, listen, pretty much no one knows dick about anything. All right. (laughs) Especially traveling. So like basically get off my back. Yeah. And like we said, the first thing they do is put the traveler tattoo on her hands. Like we said, that is traveler one on one. Put it on the front. Don't even put it in the textbook. Put it on the cover of the textbook. A picture of the fucking traveler tattoo on the hand. Ridiculous that that's not common knowledge to like everybody. If you're a traveler, get the tattoos. First thing you do. So the whole thing that Penny and Plum are doing is they want to figure out more about what the signal is doing. What is this room that it's taking them to? So they say the only way to figure out more about it is for Plum to try and travel them back to the room so they can start figuring shit out. But Plum doesn't know how to travel. So this kind of looked like the same way Mayakovsky was trying to teach Penny how to travel way back in the day. Uh, He says, simplest way to travel, just try and get me and you across the break bills lab. I'm going to draw this circle, envision the circle, try and travel into it. They try and travel into (laughs) it. And seemingly it goes off without a hitch. But Penny notices that the circle that he drew on the ground is no longer there. They walk outside and they are in break bills circa 19. The Adventures of Plum and Penny. I do want to say this is a really great line. She doesn't know what chat when she's related to at mm-hmm. this point. We get a good payout of that later again. But she she thinks she's <laughs> cursed. And he says, listen, you're the third chat when I've met. The Beast basically tortured me my whole life. Jane did everything she could to stop him. And she changed time. She was incredible. So family curse, as far as I'm concerned, the scales are even. You could tip it either way, which I thought was a really good pump up speech for plum because she's obviously down on herself she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing she feels lost so i think that was a professor adioti like you nailed that 
I really liked that Penny, as spiteful as he is, just generally gave Jane the props that she deserved. Mm -hmm. He thought very highly of Jane, apparently, and I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, also Plum's a time traveler. That's really dope. Not only can she travel, she can travel through time, which is if you can get that under control, maybe the first thing she'd do is uh, save our boy Quentin, you know? You better stop, Dave. Relax yeah, no, no. over there. But yeah, so this is the payout right away. So we're in 1998. They could tell by uh, the sign on the top. And he's like, well, I know what freaking chat one you're related to. Right away, you get it. And I love that. You're right, Brian. It's such a fucking cool enough and rare enough that f this fog, 1998 fog with this fucking hairdo, amazing, is like, they're a myth. <laughs> it's like, what? Dude. 1998, they didn't know that? That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> This fog is the fucking best. I want, we wanted fog 40 so badly, and I did not see this coming because he's technically is still fog 40, I believe. Mm -hmm. Man, he is looking like a straight up snack. He looks like a civil rights hero. <laughs> if if really you put does. a picture of him in black and white, like he could be standing next to Martin Luther King Jr. Like, I just love it. He looks so good. <laughs> His mood is so different. It's yeah. so noticeable that he just is genuinely <laughs> cheerful about life compared to what we know as Dean Fogg. For a second, even as a vet, I forgot why they walk in with the ski masks. I was like, wait a second, what are they What are they doing here? <laughs> of how even so he knows they're, they're trying to avoid a time paradox with the ski mask. Yep. And he's like, use, I didn't write down the spell. He's like, next time use this unless you wanted to wear the mask. Answers <laughs> facial distortion. Yeah, was the spell. Yeah, my my note is just fog with this hair though in all cast, but the stash. Yeah, yeah, he's killing it. Yeah. Amazing. Uh huh. I loved how they were just like we kind of counted on you being drunk for this interaction. <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't expect this fog of all people. This is a gonna be a tangent. Tell me to shut the fuck up if we don't feel like getting into it. <laughs> but for the forty time loops, I think shut the fuck up. I think they start at a certain time. Like, I don't think this fog has been through any time loops yet. Like, they don't start at birth again. So I think this guy is so blissfully unaware of anything that's about to happen to him. Like, he's not Dean, even Dean Fogg yet. He's Professor Fogg. I think they start at a certain point of, in time. I don't think they go all the way back to Quentin's birth or something. Jimmy Pop? Well, yeah, I'm saying you have to be right because he wouldn't know the future of what happens. He would know that he becomes yeah. Dean. Like later he makes the joke that, oh, no, I can never become Dean. I agree. He would have yeah. to. It, it has to start at a later point. This guy has no idea what's coming. He would at the very least recognize Penny's voice and general clothing, I think. Yeah. And that's so. why, like you said, he's not drinking yet. Does the alcoholism relate to him, his hair loss, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well it's 22 years later so it might be that okay, yeah. yeah so they come in with the ski mask and just say hey dude what do you think about time travelers he says i i think they're a myth but plum says well how do you explain us being here he says okay plum maybe you just have a gift but you have poor aim they ask him for a fix and he says he might have it and he he gifts them this temporal compass from a time bridge that he believes will adjust it to help navigate them back to 2020 and he said you know the whole thing could make an excellent dissertation maybe even worth a promotion and this is where we get the oh gosh me dean no i'd have to pay off a lot of colleagues wives if i wanted to be dean that's our boy <laughs> dean fogg just laying some pipe even back in the 90s so now that they have this temporal compass plum attempts to travel again only to send them all the way back to the 1920s they walk out and it's like the alexander graham bell telephone and 
is it Hyman that like walks up to Penny? He kind of looks yeah. like Hyman, no, but yeah. okay. Yeah. It's exactly just a, like Hyman, yeah. just a different lanky white boy walks up to Penny and it's just like, Hey man, would you mind uh, sweeping up the men's dining room for us? That's Ridiculous. not Hyman. No. No. Oh my God. What's wrong with Penny, you? Like, if Penny it was wouldn't Penny, immediately yeah. Be yeah. Like, Penny would have been. That's yeah, what I, I thought, mean, but he did look like Hyman. I mean, that makes I'm, sense I'm, I'm thinking back on it, but. In the moment, I'm like, oh, my God, our boy fucking Hyman's back. Well, it's funny that that makes you think that because that's supposed to be like the the thing later where they're like, oh, shit, we can talk to Hyman. (laughs) I like it because Break Bills itself is known for kind of being like it never gets updated. It looks exactly the same. Like Even in the books I'm reading, there's a new comic called The New Class. And basically the premise of The New Class is that it's the first class where they let hedge witches in. So the hedge witches come in and they're like, hey, can I use your phone or like, let me like go Google something. Cause it's nowadays. And they're like, there's no fucking computers here. There's one of these John, the circle phones, like whatever. I love that about break bills. It makes it not a plot hole that break bills looks exactly the same, no matter what year you're in, you know, Kathleen, does love Grossman have anything to do with that? Is he yeah, writing he that? Wrote it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. I have it. It's honestly, I bought it for you for your birthday, but I'm reading it first. Yeah, <laughs> that's all good. July of 2020. <laughs> it didn't, I'm just getting around to it now, but I'm reading it. It's good. I want it back right now. Shout out Lev, the homie. Now we have Penny and Plum in 1920, and they just hypothesized that Fog must have messed up one of the numbers on the temporal compass. So they immediately try to get into the break bills library just to see if they can research what's going up and possibly find a fix. But the professor (laughs) immediately kicks Plum and Penny out of the library because it's only open to students. And Penny's like, I'm a professor. Plum says, I'm a student. He's like, yeah, and I'm the king of Siam. So not only are they in the past, but they have to deal with a lot of racist motherfuckers. Yeah, I was going to say that goddamn 1920s racism. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They get kicked out of the library and Penny's like, wow, great. We're stuck in the past and we don't know anybody that can possibly help us. When they overhear two young students talking about a pervert ghost huh? who we all know and love. And the next scene is Hyman reading Othello to his fellow students in the physical college. Absolutely killing it. It won't feel like Othello until he's in blackface. Yeah, I died laughing at that. (laughs) That was so fucking funny, especially because Plum is obviously apprehensive. Yeah. And Penny's like, don't worry, like in 100 years, he'll be a nice guy. And then he immediately says that, like, it won't feel like Othello until I'm in blackface. And it was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then they start the conversation. And he's like, you're from wherever, like the West Indies. And you guys are some visiting mystics. Yeah. The dark continent. And I was like, oh, my God. You just like face and cringe through the screen. And then Plum, like under her breath, is like, God, give me strength. Yeah. Yeah, so Penny blackmails him and calls him the perfect ghost, and it's like, you're going to fucking help us or everyone's going to know about it. So they go to the library. Hyman gets them into the library past the professor by saying, oh, these are my translators. I'm working on a project. They're translating for me. And they start studying, but they find that time bridges, pretty much there hasn't been any research done on time magic in the 1920s, so they can't find anything. But Hyman overhears them mentioned time bridge and says oh you mean professor sato's work which fast forwards us to professor sato's shop uh where they find they actually teleported or traveled to the exact day that professor sato was intending to invent time bridges 
Yeah, and the figure out it's a totem. It's because the compass that went in that 1998 file gave to them was from this year. And <laughs> they say the word 1998 and Hyman goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You traveled to the year of our Lord, 1998. <laughs> no, 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 no. Horse feathers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to sound really stupid. I f- that one went right over my head. What did what does that mean? 1998, the year of our Lord and Savior. I have no idea. I thought it was just being dumb. It's just like how they would speak in 1920. Like Is the it? year of our Lord. Because people still say that to this day. Like I've heard that like year of our Lord 2016 or yeah. something like that. I feel like people more use it as a joke today. Like, yeah. oh, like you're going to say that in this year, the year of our Lord 2021. Oh, right. Yeah. Not everyone's a comedian. B. Tom's it's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh. so the two, the two totems were the book that Plum was holding, which was from 1998, which got them there. And then the compass from the time bridge got them to 1920. So that's why they're stuck there. hundred years in the past. I love how Hyman's calling Plum remedial traveler. <laughs> He's just giving her some yeah. backhanded slabs. Mm-hmm. I do like, though, that it makes sense that Hyman would know that yeah. and be able to help them connect those dots, you know, because he is a traveler. Yep. I also just absolutely love how the end of the scene, they figure out basically that they need something from their time. And Penny says, from our time. And right afterwards, Hyman kind of goes, from our time. I was going to say that. <laughs> and then it like slowly pans away and like you feel the awkwardness in the room a little bit and then it changes the scene. I thought it was so well done. Next to Penny and Plum, they're looking for items from 2020 because obviously they need a object from their current time so that Plum can travel them back to it. Um, and this is where we get the description, the uh, episode description. Penny only wears vintage. Penny has nothing on him that was manufactured in the year 2020, which is hilarious. He and needs a Benchtown t-shirt, man. Yeah, he does. Yeah, that would get him back safely to our time period, baby. <laughs> so Hyman bursts in and says that he got expelled because someone ratted him out and Penny and Plum didn't do it. So they think maybe someone overheard their conversation about him being the pervert ghost. And he walks out like resigned to being expelled and Penny says, oh shit, this is bad. He has to get trapped here so that he is there to help future me save magic. So that sends us on this quest to try and get uh, Hyman to go be a pervert so that they can move him while he's astrally projecting. I love that they try to, you know, they made keeping that continuity kind of the conflict of the storyline. Also just, it really reminds me of Dark, especially when they start talking about how Plum says that maybe it was us who did it. And then Mm -hmm. eventually, you know, obviously then the ripples throughout time, that action, it just immediately in my head, alarm bells for dark. But there's two or at least one, there's two really funny lines in this scene. Because Hyman's like pissed that someone would eavesdrop on their conversation and tell somebody about it and rat him out essentially. And Plum's like, do you mean like exactly what you've been doing and literally what you're getting expelled for? And he looks right at Penny and was like, did you give her permission to use irony in this way? And then storms out. (laughs) Dude, the time period comedy is so on point. I want to piggyback off of what you said, Kyle, about Penny's like, that's not how time works. And Plum's like, how do you fucking know? Maybe that's us. It literally is a callback to the season one finale of this when Julia and Quentin go to Fillory for the first time and they help Jane with the riddle and they're waiting for the witch and the fool. And they're like, we read this book so many times, like we're waiting for the witch and the fool and they're looking around. And then when they realize they are the witch and the fool and they look at each other and just go, (gasps) it is one of my favorite moments. I mean, that's one of my favorite episodes of 
the series. Quentin is writing the seventh Stillery book in that scene. He's like, I am in that scene, bitches. <laughs> Which <laughs> I didn't know. I love that scene. But it Penny doesn't know that, but that's literally written into the show already. So they could have been the ones mm-hmm. been written in time. I love that. I love it. Time travel I love that. Is such a sticky subject, but they, I think they do it well here in The Magicians by keeping it like pretty simple. You know, they don't try to overly complicate it. They're just like, okay, this is an effect of this. Let's just move on with that, you know? So I like, because I always feel like for me personally, time travel is so, it can be either done really well or really bad. And here's an example of it being done really well in the sense that they keep it simplistic. So that'll take us to Hyman is back in his dorm room, packing up, expecting to be expelled. And Penny is there to comfort him. And Hyman, our boy, is is starting to think that maybe it is time to hang up the shoes and that maybe, just maybe, it is wrong to spy on people in the shower. But then why what? did God give you the ability to <laughs> spy on people in the shower? And I love how Penny has to, like, bite his teeth and be like, you know what, man? It's okay to look like. <laughs> you're a good egg, Penbrook. <laughs> yeah, you're a good egg, Penbrook. Just a little, like, line. little friendly punch in the gut. So good. Penbrook. <laughs> And Penny's just like completely unrelated, but how does someone in 1920 score tickets to the women's uh, welters match today? He's like, ooh, welters match. Like, I, it's not on the schedule or anything. And and very suddenly, Hyman, Hyman has to pack in private for the next couple hours. So he tells <laughs> Penny to get out of there, and, and he's just going to pack. The next scene we get is Plum and Penny in the physical cot- uh, cottage with an unconscious Hyman. Uh, and Plum... And I just want to say right now, I got a very good vibe from Plum all episode. Like, I am sad that this is the last season because she could be like a homie and part of the squad. You know, she's always finding solutions and she's got kind of a good banter to her. I know Luke mentioned it in the last episode he was in, but Plum is a huge part in the third books. And it's a bu- it is a bummer. I totally agree with you, Tags. She is a huge part of the books. She basically travels with Quentin throughout, like three quarters of the, of the third book. It's, it's awesome. She's great. Yes. Speaking on the banter too. I just like how she challenges Penny. You know, she's not afraid to talk back to him. She's not intimidated by his, the veneer that he tends to put on, you know, that he doesn't care about shit. She even calls him out for it in this exact scene. She's basically like, you know, this isn't the penny that I heard about. Like the penny I heard about wouldn't give a fuck if it messes with time. Like he would just help his friend out. And he's kind of like, Oh, she's right. (laughs) yeah i mean she already has the mantra that pretty much everybody in the squad has been living by since season one you know it's like friends over everything we'll deal with the consequences later like and she also has the foresight to consider hymen a homie you know what i mean so and this whole scene is she stole a stasis charm amulet from professor sato it freezes the wearer in time so she's like listen we can hide his body but if he's wearing this amulet then he'll be protected and we can help him in the future and i didn't like how penny was so dismissive of this like that that was kind of bullshit it's also i mean it's easy for plum to kind of say the outcome will be the same but from penny's perspective all of the hard work that they put into saving magic if it was eventually offered not because they fucked with Hyman in the wrong way would be a little disappointing to him. But I do agree that I mean, I'm team plum in this, you know, also I really like how, how she basically says that she has this power and she wants to do some good with it. Cause Penny just has this true, not even neutral, a negative view of traveling. And she 
has this view that she can use this power for good. And this is one of the first opportunities she has to use it for good. It was just very Julia-esque because we started this season with Julia trying to figure out how to deal with this new power that she now has and kind of doing it because she wants Quentin's death to mean something more. And I just thought it was really interesting that now he's having the same conversation, but with Plum. He tries to tell her, like, don't think of it as a gift. It's like a curse and nothing's for a reason. And she apologizes, like, I'm sorry that your shit got broken right when you realized you wanted to keep it. This is a good thing for us and for me specifically. So, yeah, she she calls Penny out on a lot. And I, she was spitting facts in this scene. So I, I really like Plum. Let me just throw this out there. It's the first time I've ever thought of it. Would Penny 23 even know who the fuck Hyman is? Technically, our Penny knows Hyman because he died and then was on the astral plane how the fuck would penny 23 know hyman i was actually going to bring up the same thing that's that sibling stuff jimmy powell got the same brain waves the same same i'm trying to think um the silence from the rest of us is us agreeing and not wanting to say that we agree (laughs) yeah i think that's i'm trying to think of a, a counter argument but legitimately i can't penny 23 and penny 40 never have met right so they can't um unless penny no, they've 20... met. yeah they've met when he when he told uh he told him to do the right thing mm-hmm. right yeah you're right but i don't know that they met it with enough time to him to, to mm-hmm. be like let me tell no. you my friend hyman <laughs> yeah no definitely not no yeah plot so, hole damn Kathleen. Yeah, i don't know i mean it's people, of all people to say that kathleen's bringing up a plot hole i, I feel like there has to be an answer heart. that we're just not thinking of right now yeah, maybe. I was actually because I was going to say the whole ent- I just didn't want to be wrong, Kathleen, mm-hmm. the whole episode when he's saying me and Hyman, me and Hyman. I'm like, that's the wrong penny, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to text Luke, phone a friend. Wait, I'm on I'm on Reddit right now. I might have an answer. Be the nickel. He did his, he did his weird ghost thing to try and force Julia and Penny 23 together in season four, I think. Oh, yes. Yes. He's yeah. He did that to get them the bang. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. He put the roses on the bed and shit. Oh, thank God. Okay, no plot yeah. holes. Nice. Here, thank God. No plot holes. Here we go. Okay. Good. 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 I'm sorry I've ever doubted you, magicians. I love you so much. It's funny. You <laughs> type in how does Penny 23, and then it's just the first thing that comes up is no Hyman. <laughs> we weren't the first ones to think of that. So getting back to the episode, right when Plum kind of calls him out on all his you know, shit that's going on. Penny's like, wait a second. I know how to get us back to 2020. So they hide Hyman's body. It's kind of like inside a bench in the physical cottage. So he's just been chilling in the physical cottage for like a century. Um, so Kyle? ridiculous. I mean, isn't that the whole point of what he said too, that you, you don't want to risk giving him the locket or whatever, because if they find him, it's all screwed because he's supposed to be dead. That's, that's the point. So putting him there on an easy spot to find him. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it wasn't even like they broke down the wall and like put him in the wall and then redid the wall. Like they just slid something that was supposed to be s- slowed, slid, and slotted him in something that was already a storage space. Like how would no one find him? Can you imagine though, just like <laughs> opening the storage space and be like, holy shit, there's a guy there. <laughs> I guess you would just shrug yeah, it off. You like just that. assume he's a passed out guy from the party last night or something. True. I think that the, the maintenance crew that works at Breakbills just kind of noticed it at one point. It was like, we'll just leave this for another time. We'll yeah, not well, my they problem. Have, they have house cells for that, man. They don't. <laughs> 
Anyway, we'll we'll just look over that though. So, and Penny's idea to get them back to present time was, you know, while Quentin won the Welters Trophy several years ago, Penny broke it in 2020. And once it broke, the individual pieces became new things. So he kept the plaque that said, you know, Quentin Coldwater, 198th annual Welters champion. That was a new thing that was created in the year 2020 on that day. So they used that as their totem for Plum to use to get them back to the present day. Yeah. And I I liked how they drew the parallel between Plum yelling at him and being like, this isn't the penny that I've heard of, whatever that I know. And he's like, yeah, well, when something gets ripped away from you, like you become a new person. Then he's like, ding, break something new 2020. I like that. It was good. Good for me. So, and that gets us to the next scene is them attempting to use this new totem to travel back to the year 2020. And it happens successfully. So it goes off without a hitch. Plum gets them back in like 10 seconds. She immediately travels them to this different place. And it, it, Immediately, I I recognized it as the room that she was describing earlier in the episode. I I just referred to it as the signal room. Uh, There's no windows. It's it's kind of a small space. And there's a lot. It looks like a museum. Honestly, there's a lot of valuable artifacts and like statues. And I also noticed that there were two chandeliers. One of them was like shaking back and forth. I don't know if that's something or not, but Plum can't travel out. So they're stuck there. Did she mention the art? When she first described the room? No. I just thought that was so funny that they were like, well, what was it like? And she just, no windows, didn't mention just the paintings and the statues that were in there. She just, there was no windows and no one else there. I just thought that was funny. It's also important to note that I think, I don't know if you mentioned this, B. Thomas, but she did say, no, I don't think I did this, at least on purpose. I, it could have been someone else who did yeah, this to us. It seemed against her will. Um, and Kyle, to your point, it seems like it's a thing with this room that when you go there, your memory comes back a little bit frazzled. And in, earlier in the episode, Penny even mentioned, because Penny has been to this room too. In episode one, he got trans uh, traveled against his will and he couldn't remember anything. And he made a comment saying, well, you remembered more about it than me. So I think maybe she didn't remember all the artwork. All she was able to kind of decipher in her mind was no windows, no doors, no nothing. Yeah. If she can't even tell that she was there for three weeks, I wouldn't expect her to be able to remember everything, but Kyle, you do have a good point. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's like the main thing you would notice if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to be looking feature, around. It, yeah. The main yeah. feature of the room is it's chock full of art. Yeah, exactly. But I digress. <laughs> That's kind of where we leave Plum and Penny. And that is a very intriguing storyline to follow going forward. And Plum also just came in like a wrecking ball and became the most powerful character in this show. If I'm being honest, time traveling is a very powerful skill that she has. I don't know. I'm very interested in this storyline going forward. So what do you think? Do you guys think that she can travel as a normal traveler or do you think every time she's traveling, she is a time traveler because she's related to Jane Chatwin, quote unquote? I would say it doesn't have to be that way, but it does seem like it's that way right now as she is, as Hyman would say, a remedial Remedial. traveler. Yeah. Do you guys have any theories about the room or the signal or anything yet? I mean, there's not much to go on. 
I just think with what four episodes left, it has to all be connected. I think the couple is going to be our big bad. And I feel like the signal is going to be related to the couple or actually no, scrap that. I think it might be a chat. <laughs> I think it might be a chat thing because it could be all connected to what Rupert's got going on. I, I don't know. It's so much in this this whole signal thing draws a parallel to what the beast was doing in season one to Penny. Like that's the only time we've seen a signal that goes through to someone like unimpeded against their will. So maybe they, I don't know. I I really don't know. I'm I'm just trying to talk out loud here. The only thing I do know is that the bunny theory seems to be officially dead. Bummer. (laughs) Which is, both disappointing and relieving it's disappointing because i wasn't correct but it's relieving that the bunnies aren't evil and (laughs) acting up hey man just because they're not causing the single doesn't mean they're not evil man there's pirate bunnies holy shit well this is true but are the pirates that are they evil Eh, i don't know they were mean to alice they seem pretty chaotic. You <laughs> were me now. <laughs> I'll tell Captain Hobbs <laughs> whatever she says. Captain Hobbs, yeah. <laughs> I just love the name Captain Hobbs. It's so good. All right. So that's our Plum and Penny storyline. I think it might just be easiest to tackle Alice and Katie because they're kind of their own thing. So the first time this episode we see Alice and Katie is in the New York apartment and they just kind of start a dialogue together out of nowhere. We we don't get an explanation for where Katie's been the past three episodes. She's just back. Alice is seeking out her help. Um, and she's asking Katie about the couple because that's kind of her bag right now. So Katie says, you know, I haven't heard of them, but I might know a guy who has. And that seems like a common magician solution. Like someone always knows someone who might know. I was going to say that exact same thing, B Tom. So that's just a recurring magician's thing where it's like, Mm -hmm. I know somebody or, you know, just go over there. You'll find it. (laughs) Yeah. I was guessing when Zelda gives the explanation that she was helping Katie with the, the, what are the marks called? reads mark yeah the reads mark i was just assuming that's what she's been doing when you said like what she's been doing the last three episodes that's the only that's the only explanation we we really get george kind of explains it at the end how it was like so random how we get to like oh i know a guy it's like they did it the time loop so many times that it's like alice asked for katie's help who then knows a guy like you know what i mean it's it all i honestly the time loop thing kind of confused me at the end even though i've seen this episode like four times at this point now I still don't, uh, whatever. Well, it's but. not, it's not technically a, well, it's a simulation being run multiple times. It's not yeah. actually a time loop to her. It is because it's a simulation, but really it's, it's not like he's going back in time. He's just running a simulation multiple times. Time. Normal time is still going forward, right? You're making my head spin off yes. my body. Jimmy, I think you're right. I think yeah. this guy, George, from the couple put her into it because he refers to it as you're in the Matrix. So, yes, yeah. I think that is yeah. a separate simulation that okay. he is putting Alice through while time is still on going Earth forward. is still going forward. Right. Can we talk so, about just like the power of these two all episode? I'm so glad we get we never get just Alice and Katie. I mean, even last season, the whole bit was that Katie just fucking rocks her in the face and then they're like cool after. You know what I mean? She's like, you punched me in the fucking face. <laughs> I love it. And they're so smart and strong willed and like so separately smart. Like they both have their strengths. And oh, my God, I'm in love with these beautiful humans. Well, at the same time, though, it might not ever be reality until the end where they're both tied up in chairs because I think the Katie that we see all episode is part of the simulation. Ah. 
I think right when Katie and Alice have this conversation in the opening, the first time we see them, that is where the simulation starts. And George actually uses that. He says, yep, everything you remember up until Katie saying she wanted to text me, it what has been part of this. So yes, all of this Katie was simulation Katie. So it's not canon. Uh, no. no, it's canon, but it's yeah. just not real. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's upsetting. Uh, but it I wasn't do love real it. Zelda either, which brings us back to we haven't seen the real Zelda in a long time. Yeah, you're true. blowing my mind. I'm the worst vet of all time. Well, that's funny too because I just said I was just trying to answer the question what they've been doing for the last three episodes, and that's the simulation response too. So that doesn't matter either. <laughs> we still get them though like i still enjoy it i feel like that's still implied though jimmy it's that like she's the now the head bitch which yeah so. that's that's what she probably <laughs> is doing and, and he knows that because that's he had to have kept caught katie to put her in the simulation i got to lay eyes on zelda so i'm cool with it <laughs> yeah if you buy into simulation theory there's like a 99.9 repeating percent chance that we are currently in a simulation so it's it's all fucked guys i hope it reset it baby let's go <laughs> what? Don't reset <laughs> it. Let it roll. Bitch down TV is thriving. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so Alice and Katie, you know, Katie says, Yeah, I know this guy, and you'll never guess where he wants to meet. So they, next time we see them, they're at the library, and Zelda's greeting them. You know, everything's going great. Uh, and we find out that Zelda has been rebuilding the library and now the librarians are working together with the hedge witches. So we see a bunch of hedge witches like putting books back in the stacks. Katie's friend George is like right there behind them. Zelda and I guess Katie goes to talk to George and Zelda and Alice start to sidebar and Zelda explains that she's been removing Reed's marks and found herself in favor with a bunch of magicians, these hedges that just had their Reed's marks removed and they were just looking for something to do. So she recruited them to help her rebuild the library. This is the first time where we see a surge happens. And as a rook, that immediately set off a trigger in my mind. And Zelda blames it on the hedges, just not knowing how to cast with the new circumstances in the Netherlands. But the way that they portrayed that surge, it seemed like a surge that we've been seeing on Earth all season. So I I don't know if I was really buying Zelda's excuse there. Kyle, what do you think? I always believe her, so. <laughs> mm, fair enough. Love fair blinds enough. you, Kyle. Yeah, Love I didn't think you. anything suspicious of her. I trust her. You were just seeing the <laughs> forearms up like this, and you were just like, she's back. Yeah. Finally. Literally, yeah. I, you know what's really funny, though? We're talking about the whole everything has been a simulation. I did think it was weird. This is the thing that I caught was that George answers Katie, like, way too fast. Oh, like, uh, he, yeah. He, he responds to her way too quickly. Yeah, I was it's like, just I like, was weird. hey, what's up? I want to meet. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even think she puts her phone down. She texts yeah. him and then immediately gets a message like, yeah, let's go do it right here. Yeah. Meet me at the library now. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to bring this up. Alice is wearing a wig. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I have to say it because it's not great. And I remember I watched Luke put off watching the series finale for this season for a while. He was just too sad. He didn't want to watch it. Yeah. And so I, I came over in the summer and we watched it together. The whole episode, I was like, you see it, right? You see her wig? And he's like, would you shut up? (laughs) Would you stop talking? Like, only a girl would notice that. And I'm like, it's a fucking wig. Like, it's so blatantly a wig. And I don't know why, because she's always blonde. Like, even on Instagram posts throughout that time, she's always blonde. I don't. Alice doesn't always need that classic straight. Like, if they wanted to change it, they could. It's five seasons in. You're allowed to. Cersei got a haircut. You're allowed to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. 
Love that comparison. But two, I'm looking at it right now. I cannot tell for the life of me that that is a wig. I, I'm nope. looking at it right now and I have no idea. Let, put, this is point news me in to me. Let me see, because she's not always wearing a wig in season five. Oh my God. There's no part. And it's high up Dude, here. What? It's like high up here as if she like literally strapped on a wig. Like the, her head is Those in are coming head. out of her fucking head. I <laughs> I'm going to show Kathleen, you stuff. Kathleen, I got your back. I didn't notice it at all until you texted the group and said, did anybody bring up the wig in the last episode? And then I watched <laughs> this episode and I was like, that looks different. I didn't know. I didn't necessarily know it's a wig, but I was like, that looks different. Is that because Al- Alice in real life, like changed her hair? Or something yeah, like that? it was okay. only shorter, though. So and she was still hot. So who cares? But she <laughs> she didn't always have that one side clipped up. I kind of I kind of she does it in every it. episode, okay. like start midway through. It's like wig town, baby. I but don't I know. Still, I just, like, I'm surprised you could. I guess it, it must be a girl thing because I literally am still looking at him. Just like that looks like a real head. <laughs> more, <laughs> more time in the chair, baby. Like, why, why are you doing that to yourself? Just use your own hair. You got good hair. Yeah, yeah anyway. this episode brought to you by Wig Town TV. <laughs> yeah, check them out. Yeah. It's us, actually. It's us. <laughs> we are like, Wig Town like, TV. Check out Alice's wig. Also, Stella's pregnant, so peep that as well. <laughs> I didn't. Asshole. Honestly, I didn't notice either of those things. Like, when Elliot found out this episode, Julia was pregnant, I was just like, whoa, she's got a bump. How about that? And oh, no, I, I didn't tell it was a wig. So maybe, maybe I'm. Just not paying attention to details. Wait, wait, I just need to say, you when they do when she stabs Rupert, you didn't notice in that stance that she had a bump. Uh, but she was in her sword stance. She had a. She had. The, I like guess a, I wasn't looking for it. I mean, it and wasn't she didn't like look like that obvious. Okay, uh, I could tell that it was it was an artificial stance, but like I thought it was just like a swordsman stance. Like she just thrust. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I agree with the swordsman stance. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, oh, so you're saying she just had like the angle of how she was standing. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to I want to shout out Kyle. I wanted it to be Fen too. Why wasn't that Fen? When it, you were saying that on the pod, I'm like, preach. It legitimately doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, it only makes sense because they captured Julia and Elliot, but it's not like Julia had to be the one to have killed him. Like she could have just been a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. Totally. And still this episode would have went off without a hitch. So mm-hmm. And just Pissed. like give Fen more stuff. Give yeah, we've Fen been calling for it. Mm-hmm. Well, she she kills it in her scenes this episode. So yeah, she she's had a very strong season so yeah. far. But yes, I wish they gave her more things of substance that that she could do, and that that seemed like a no brainer. However, our next scene, well, it's actually the same scene. Uh, Katie just comes back into the room with George, who is the friend that she texted. And George also doesn't know who the couple is, but he knows a guy that might know who the couple is. So George says, it'll take me a day to track him down. So you guys just hang tight in the library while we wait. And Zelda comes right in and says, oh, well, if you have a day to spend, we need some help fixing magic if you're willing to give us the help. Uh, She says that she's pulled a bunch of books from the poison room. So if there is a solution to fix magic, then it's going to be here. So she petitions them for help. That will take us to the next Alice and Katie scene. And it's just them kind of like combing through these books looking for the fix for magic and they're just like okay so we messed up the moon and apparently the moon's a monumental cunt that is now screwing up circumstances so how do we you know how do we fix it and the lights flicker one more time and alice's turkey sandwich now has peanut butter on it and it's 
it's all a little bit wonky. And Katie is the first one to point it out. She says, you know, isn't wonky casting an Earth-specific problem? But Alice says that it's more of a basic problem. You know, she she's like she buys into this whole Zelda thing of the hedges, which I want to take it back to our Matrix conversation. Why would simulation Katie, who was created by George, why would she be trying to poke holes in? Why would she point know. out? That it's an Earth problem and they're in the Netherlands. Know what I'm saying? No, I totally get what you're saying. Yep. That doesn't make sense. Gotta keep it realistic a little bit. Ah, true, true, true. A little bit. Probably one of those things where you're going through the simulation 18 times and it's exactly like Jane Chat when you gotta change a few things to try to make Alice yeah. give you what you want. And if you make it more believable by having Katie kind of try to fight against it, what the actual truth is, you know. It was like so, Dave asking you the question, like, why do you think that? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's a little out there, Brian, but let me hear what you have to say about it. Like, wow, I yeah. wish that was it. Wow. Yeah. That would have been so cool if you got it right. That oh, does kind of so make sense. I wish they did that. Yeah. It's so hard to keep a straight face and not act like, yeah. damn, he got it. <laughs> um, This scene, though, I don't have any of it written down because I think I was just like smiling watching it. The interactions between Katie and Alice here, like Alice has some like goofy stuff in this scene. That, that shit. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So when I said earlier, she does a couple things that are just so un Alice, it's crazy. Katie yeah. points out that it would be cool. Oh, it would be cool if we could just reassign the moon, like Zelda can reassign the hedges that aren't doing their tasks right. And Alice looks up and it's just like, you're fired, moon. <laughs> and she says it just like that. And I'm like, where did that come from, Alice Quinn? <laughs> It was so bizarre. Yeah, seriously. But she's like, wait, what if we actually did get rid of the moon and make a new one? And, you know, she's just like, hey, if there's a way to do it, it would be in these poison room books. But that was so un Alice like. Am I the only one? No, I agree. Yeah. I liked it, though. I was like, what a fucking stupid goof. I love it. I don't know. I don't know. But, but stupid goof are like the last two words I would ever use to describe Alice Quinn. I know. I don't, was that like a. Like it a, was like a nerdy goof. Yeah, I would cute. say yeah. It well, I don't know. I I liked it. It was just not consistent with who she's been as a human being for the past what fifty episodes. I mm. don't know. So the next scene that we have is Katie and Alice. They're still just looking at these poison room books, and Katie finds a book that describes a seed that can grow into anything. You know, what if we can grow it into a new moon? And obviously it's describing the world seed that we learned about last episode. And Alice starts turning the pages of this book and it's legitimately the same exact book that Quentin ripped the page out of. And Alice immediately starts to be a little bit skeptical. She's like, all right, we're trying to solve a completely separate problem. And there just happens to be this book with the same missing page that I have. Is it a coincidence? Is it synchronicity? Or Katie says, I always assume it's a trap. So Alice says that there's no way this isn't a con, but Katie chalks it up to them, like finally catching a break. I like that she said that. And while we do the buckets right after she has that quote, it's immediately we transition to Penny and Plum just struggling their asses off, trying to figure out how the hell to get out of 1920. I just thought that was really funny because it was like, from our perspective, we don't know it's a simulation yet. So it's like, okay, Alice and Katie catch like the only break of the five seasons. And then we're immediately transported to an impossible situation of we're stuck a hundred years in the past. 
mm-hmm. with no way to get out because in their heads, they need something from 2020, which how are you going to find something for 2020 and 1920? I am. My heart is shattered that this is a simulation because I really enjoyed these conversations. I was like, they are bonding and they're so smart and cool and pretty. <laughs> I do love these two together. And for most of the series, Alice and Katie don't like each other. What is the reason they don't like each other? Well, Katie gets, I mean, Katie and Penny are fucking assholes to Quentin and Alice. I mean, if you take it back to the pilot, those (laughs) four are who summon the beast, right? So they're just being douchey to each other at all times. Alice is mousy and shy and Katie is, it gets kicked out by the time they're in Break Bill's house. So they just don't spend any time together. Alice banged Penny too. Yeah. I don't even know if Katie knows that. Katie was not at Break Bill's at that point. She knows everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we get our next scene and it's Alice is talking to Zelda and they're talking about, you know, Alice will just grab this missing page that she has. And Zelda seems insistent on having a librarian do it instead. And Alice is just like, well, chill. Like uh, I can handle it. I got it myself. And Alice finally calls Zelda out for, you know, the peanut butter and turkey sandwich that she had. And why are these glitches happening during lunar intervals? Why would the Netherlands be affected by the earth's moon? Like none of this adds up. And right when she finally puts everything together, Time stops and George is behind it. And George is sounding really annoyed. He's like, you're on Earth, okay? Which you manage to figure out every fucking time. And George says that that she's in the Matrix or a Matrix, but, you know, they are physically on Earth. He sent her back to the beginning of this time loop 18 times, and it's all been made up from the point in time where she seeks out Katie and Katie texts George for help. This was kind of a revelation. I was not expecting the couple to already be introduced on to introduce, but already be on top of Alice and seeking out this page this quickly. Seemingly since the events of last episode, they have had her under this spell, if you will. Yeah. I just absolutely never saw George or the matrix storyline coming. I mean, yeah. we talked about, there were some, some things that were a little wacky, but never would have anticipated this is what it came down to. I'm also, I'm just going to say it. Obviously it's early, but I'm very disappointed in what the couple is at this point. Yeah. I listened to episode eight immediately before this. And when you guys were just what your wishes were for the couple, you're I'm telling you, I was not let down by the couple. And of course you, you barely been introduced to them yet. But when you were like, you wanted to be a symbiote or like something like that. I'm like, (laughs) well, I don't know. We've only been introduced to half of the couple. We only know George and George kind of seems like a diabolical dude. Like he is not to be trifled with, which we're about to see. You know, the next thing is uh, George is very impatient and he takes them to the real world earth. And the scene is just Katie is tied up in a chair. Alice is tied up in a chair and he's just like, give me the page or I'm going to kill Katie. So this guy's bad to the bone and he's clearly very powerful if he can deceive Alice to this extent, seemingly without exerting that much energy. Like he does not seem very bothered by Alice. I mean, he literally snaps his fingers and they're just back in the real world. Like that's just how quick he is with all this magic going on. Which leads me to believe that he is the big, big bad of this season. I've been for the past couple episodes preaching that Seb is not the real big bad. Although uh, after this episode, he seems pretty bad too. So 
but I feel like the couple is going to be our big bad going forward. And Kyle, if you were disappointed, I don't know. We've only seen half of them and George seems pretty bad. Yeah. I just disagree. Cool. I just, <laughs> yeah. I was just disappointed that he's just like a dirtbag hipster from LA essentially. I mean, it's yeah, it's he's cutting fingers off with pliers. That's interesting, but wasn't just, you know, below my expectations. I mean, below, I also said it's early. I mean, we have no idea if that is what he actually looks like or, you know, so on and so forth. I agree with the introduction of George is kind of a weird letdown, especially now that I'm just learning for the first time. That this is a simulation. It's kind of better that it's a simulation because it's it gives him a more like diabolic bile. Whoa, diabolical feel. But I, I agree that just like the intro, it's like, oh, shit. OK, here's the couple. It's, in, it's like force fed into our face a little bit. But other than that, uh, it, it'll it'll come. It'll come together. Yeah. The way this scene plays out, he snaps his fingers and they're back in the real world. You know, Alice and Katie are both tied up and he says, give me the page or I kill Katie. Alice immediately says, well, how can I be sure this is real? And George says, well, I'll tell you why it's real, because you can feel this. And he proceeds to start cutting off her fingers one by one. She's a phosphoromancer. He's like, you really need your ring finger if you're a phosphoromancer, this, that, and the other thing. And by the way, great scene for our girl, Alice, who has something to prove from her actions in the past two seasons she takes losing her four fingers like an absolute champion does not take his deal when he's like hey code of honor like if you give me the page right now i'll reattach this free of charge which if he can reattach a finger without batting an eyelash this guy's very powerful uh alice stays strong though and he cuts off four fingers and then he kind of backs off and she says, what, you want my thumb too? She's just such a badass in this scene. But eventually he threatens Katie, says, no, the next cut isn't your thumb. It's going to be Katie. And Alice says, fine, you win. Like, you got me. You win. I'll get you the page. And there's this insane shot from like low on the ground, looking right past her bleeding hand at Katie in her chair. And she mouths the word, she seemingly just regained consciousness. She says, you know, thank you, Alice, for not letting him kill me. It was a good scene for both of them. And this is not this is not simulation, Katie. So that yeah. was a real acknowledgement that Alice was doing something big for Katie. What do you guys think? Alice doesn't have a, basically a whole hand to cast now. What do you think? She's one hand down. Well, <clears throat> this isn't the first time we've seen Alice with one hand down. Alice was that. 18 23 whatever when they call when they're in the chamber and they're trying to remember the one time yeah, she has Alice, pieces she's, she's missing her fingers because she tried to do a spell to try and resurrect quentin yep it's captain hops yeah <laughs> yes but wait she also is dead <laughs> <laughs> well yeah she totally dies <laughs> Yeah, you but know. now we have our our sweet sweet Alice Forty is one hand down. Well, we know that Lipson's out of her coma, and she is the leading medical expert. So maybe, although that would be kind nope. of a, too easy of a fix. Also, he did give her the deal of I promise to reattach your finger if you give me the page. So maybe he still on still honors that. He strikes me as kind of like a a, a devil may care kind of villain, you know. He probably thinks of himself as so much stronger than Alice. He's like, fine, I'll like give you back your fingers. I'm just happy to have the page. Maybe. We've also seen Penny walk around with his hands literally hanging around his neck. So I'm not. Um, <laughs> that is a great. My stuff great touchers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too concerned about Alice not having her fingers at the moment. 
in terms of her being like that for the rest of her life. They've literally resurrected people. So yeah, I think, <laughs> that's true. I think they're gonna work that one out. Yeah, I agree with that, Kyle. Pro- probably the easier fix would be for him to go to uh what do they call it? Like Rupert's Grove or something? The pond that just torrent. Chatwin's torrent. Chatwin's, Chatwin's torrent. torrent. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that guy's still there. Yeah, that motherfucker. The, yeah. Working the torrent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta find, you gotta find the, the white lady and get your fingers back. You gotta, gotta yeah. bow and arrow the white lady in the woods. Let's just say they know a guy. They know. A guy. Yeah. Right. But that is our Alice and Katie saga, and that is. I mean, it's a pretty morbid finish to this episode. I feel like that is probably the biggest cliffhanger for me. Actually, all of these ending cliffhangers. And Kathleen, to speak to what you said about what do we think of Alice not having her fingers, I am just so in my head. I can't imagine a world where she does not get those bad boys attached like within one episode. (laughs) There's no way. Like She's getting her fingers back. I, mean, if anything, I don't they just know. Go back to the yeah. If anything, they just go back to the twenty. I know you know because you're a vet. <laughs> Whatever. Sure, fucking am. I anyway, didn't know it was a simulation, so maybe she doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah seriously, how much of a vet is she? I'm yeah. a piece of shit. I'm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Kyle. Any last thoughts? I'm I'm pretty good on that one. I I have no clue what's gonna happen. I, probably I I don't. Is Alice just going to give up the page anyway? We didn't really even see a resolution to that. She didn't tell him where he had to go. Yeah, I mean, it just will be interesting to see what the couple's plans are for the page, for the world seat itself. Penny was obviously afraid of what was to come. Yeah. Although it it doesn't seem like he knows exactly what they want to do with it because he would have said so. But, you know, what are the couple's plans with said page? Can't be anything good, especially if he's willing to cut off the fingers of a human being and just... Dude, that's probably like nothing for our, for that guy. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's uh, the right yeah, litmus test right. to decide whether how evil he is or how bad his plans are. Yeah. I just had this thought. I wonder if Seb is at also going to be after the world seed because he wants to like maybe remake Lance's body again. Okay. I don't know. I'm just trying to think how these like storylines are going to intertwine because I, I think we only have four episodes left and our, our group that's focusing on the Dark King and Fillory has to kind of get involved with this whole the couple fiasco. It's great that you're asking these questions and just me, Jimmy and Kathleen just have to nod our heads and just be like, yeah. Every time you say we have four episodes left, I get depressed. <laughs> yeah, it's, right? I, so upsetting. I mean, I'm watching this for the first time. The magic is still there. I have four yeah. episodes of not knowing what's going to happen. When that's done, I, I don't know. I'm just going to have to find another show to obsess over. Luckily, we have a podcast, I guess. Dark, <laughs> dark, dark, dark. Is Julia going to have her baby? I'm so excited to see whether she has her baby. Ah, a baby. I thought based on the description, Julia does a thing. I thought that she was going to get the abortion this episode. Ooh. Like That would be her doing a thing. She didn't do a thing this episode. She sure did not do a they thing. They all did a thing. How about that? Shout out Stella Maeve's cute ass motherfucking baby. Love that chubby little baby. Shout out. <laughs> like in real life? Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, well, that'll take us to kind of our last one and a half storylines. We're going to start them out together, and then we're going to diverge, and then they come together. And that is going to be the two storylines of Fen and Margot, and then Elliot and Julia. So one of the first scenes of this episode as a whole is Fen and Margot 
running away because the last action that has happened in Fillory was the assassination of the Dark King. So Fen and Margot are running away from Whitespire. Um, we find out that Margot gave her fairy eye to Josh to keep an eye on him. And this is a really funny scene because Margot finally has to admit, she's like, all right, Fen, I'm worried about Josh. What do you want me to say? <laughs> And Fen acknowledges the irony of, oh, you're keeping an eye on Josh, like literally. And Margot hits her with a shut the fuck up, Fen. <laughs> and that's all we see from them. And then we have Elliot and Julia are also running, but they are not as lucky. Um, Julia is slowed down by her pregnancy, we see. But the Dark King and the Centurions show up and capture them. So this is where we diverge because Margot and Fen get away through the clock back to New York. And Elliot and Julia are stuck in Fillory, captured by the Dark King. Just want to give a shout out to Fen. She takes that on the chin like a champ. <laughs> Just deep breath. Okay. Dude, is, she's been doing it for four seasons. Margo is mad stressing right now. She she hits Fen too in the very beginning with a Jesus cock and balls. Where, what's keeping <laughs> Elliot so long? You know, it's just so funny. She, you could just see how pissed off she is right now at the whole situation. She's definitely on her A game in this episode. The, the shut the fuck up Fen is just delivered. Yeah incredibly it is so fucking perfect summer bishop is yeah amazing at being margo continuing from last episode i, I i'm hoping that i'm going to take the words out of your mouth here jimmy that's yep. wonderful <laughs> seriously dude you literally just took the words out of my mouth fen has to like speaking of taking it on the chin she's basically taking it on the chin the whole time every time fen's like what happens that margo's like shut the fuck up to her basically the whole episode just bulldozes her all fucking episode but it, it's a it's a great pairing but it makes me sad for Fen a little bit, even though I love my girl Margo. Well, it's just the biggest mismatch of personalities or wills or whatever you want to willpower, whatever you want to say. You know, it's just Margo. Can't, you can't you can't tell her anything other than what she thinks. And Fen is just a doormat. So Margo and Fen burst through the clock. They're coming from Fillory. Uh, they see the footprints and, and they're kind of going through like, how is the Dark King alive? They're flabbergasted by it. And enter the man, the myth, the pedophile, Christopher <laughs> fucking Plover. <laughs> Fuck this guy. And then we get title of that cello squirrel daffodil. I, I have a list of all of the wacky shit he says if we want to just rip through it so we don't have to like. Or do you want to do it in the order like as do you... it as, as it comes? Okay. All right, cool. But I was so pissed when it's fucking Christopher Plover's bitch ass just sleeping in the bed or whatever. I was like, get this guy the fuck off screen. I just absolutely love that Margot takes one look at him and does a 180 turn. And she's like, Fen, if you've been around as long as I have, like... <laughs> You need to decide. Sometimes it's just not your problem. And I know, <laughs> Kathleen, you had to, to say this line. <laughs> I did Instagram story this yesterday when I watched it. So she's like, you can hang with Mad Libs pedophile all you want. I'm going back to double tap the motherfucker like he's Osama and I'm SEAL team, bitch. Let's go. Ooh. So good. That might I be like the quote ever. Oh, Low yeah. key, my favorite part of that scene is that Margo just keeps a Glock in the cookie <laughs> jar in the apartment. She's like, all right, I don't care about Blubber. We're going right back. Margo is always the one that has the gun. Truly. She's like, yeah, in this, in season one, she's like, yeah, I brought a gun. <laughs> yeah. And right when she grabs the gun, you know, she g tries to go right back into Fillory and Plover starts talking nonsense again. And Fen is the one that vouches for him saying... You know, I think he's trying to tell us something about Fillory, something we need to know. Fen also deduces that he's probably talking nonsense because of this tongue twister insect, which is like 
kind of a known Felorian thing, I guess. And it's an insect that lodges in someone's brains and kind of just makes them speak like a Mad Lib. I really like the terminology and the just how they connected tongue twister with, you know, a bug that can actually infiltrate you and actually cause this kind of disease. I don't know. I just kind of like this lore side of it. You know, it just gives it a little bit more depth. Florian lore is so fun. And it's also, yeah. it also is pretty in depth. Kathleen, do they like, is it like even better in the books? Like how much they talk about just like the fun quirkiness of Fillory? You know, it's better in the show. I gotta say really? it. The, the show takes it to another level of of whimsical and witty at the same time like it's so smart like the writing is so fucking smart in the show it's not that it's not in the book but they they like really hone in on those details whereas the books really do not follow these storylines at all so there are a few big ones that they hit but not not all the time i just feel like the imagery like actually being able to visibly see it helps a lot with it i can imagine yeah what they really go into in the books is the jane martin stuff like back in the day fillery is stuff that so yeah there's way more creatures i would say but not like deep lore like this you know things like little tongue yeah i'd hate to say that that's fen's purpose of still being around of being like she's basically our subject matter expert on fillery and she'll keep doing that throughout the series but like i want her to be more than that but it is just like a great thing for fen where she could be like yeah like oh the tongue twisters like i'm from fillery Kyle, with those eyes, what are you doing? <laughs> disrespectful, but okay. What? Yeah, Kyle is a fan stan, and I don't think he liked that. Dude, saying I, that she's just not an important character, and I that's her only reason for being around. I literally said I don't. I said I don't want to say that's the only reason they have her around. I want more for her. She's the translator in the sense that she can translate, like you were describing, Filler is like yeah. witty and uh, charming, all that. Like she's the Pl- light in the darkness. Yeah, when Plover's just like talking nonsense, she's just like, oh, I think I know. Like <laughs> I think I know what he's trying to say here. I'll come like, across something, about this. Dark, something about the dark king, right? <laughs> and he's just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the takers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. So just as Fen vouches for Plover, Margo witnesses through her fairy eye that she gave to Josh that the Dark King is starting to close in on him. But Josh puts the fairy eye in his pocket so she can't see how that concludes. But Dark King is aware of Josh's whereabouts. And at that point, Margo just says that she knows a guy that might be able to help Plover so that he can share his intel on the Dark King. Because she says, whatever he's got to say about the Dark King, we need to know. And of course she knows a guy. Why wouldn't she, knows she know a guy. guy? But this guy we've seen before, right? Oh, we've seen fine. Gordy before, right? <laughs> yeah, we have. We Such a great have. callback. He's the one who's like, well, your fish a is a werewolf <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> I love that. Why it's are all line. the side characters in in the magicians just perfect because they could that? just turn them up to a thousand like yeah. they're like yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah we got margo fan plover and gordy the quote-unquote vet and gordy essentially he uses the glass lens that everybody uses and he finds that there are thousands of insects in plover's spinal column he doesn't even say that i think he says his spinal bones yeah yeah and He says each one of them has an energy meridian tether. So it's like he's being possessed by a thousand bugs. And it flashes to Margo. She's like, possessed, you say? Oh, I got the fix for that. And she whips out the, uh, what would you call those? Like hammers or chisels? Axes. Axes, yeah. So she gets the axes and just stabs them right there. And I love that fan. Oh, you didn't like that. I caught him. 
They're pretty it's important like tags. so absurd hammers. There's, there's an entire episode dedicated to her like journey to craft these axes. Yeah. One, one piece of black sand per per hundred yeah. white pieces of sand. Yeah. I guess I'm not impressed. And Sorrow then, and then yeah, and then when she does the tournament, she's like, I'm an axe girl. Yeah. <laughs> but you know how bad did she want to just stab Plover with that axe, yeah. man? Why wouldn't they stab them somewhere like yeah. non-fatal? But she just buries it right into his back. Yeah. It's like, all right, get the fuck out of here. And Gordy's even like, oh my God, it's well, bleeding out. For Plover, she knows that he can't die, I guess, too. I mean, does she know that? I don't know we if know. she knows that specifically, but... I feel like the reveal here has to imply that. If I was her and I knew Plover couldn't die, I'd just stab him right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't said any of the fucking things that Plover's been saying. I can read them all. But my favorite one, because you never know what he's trying to say. So they're all funny. But the one where he where Gordy goes, say, ah, and he just goes, fire engine. <laughs> it's like so fucking stupid. Talk about low hanging fruit. But it's just like, I love it because, you know, he's supposed to be saying, ah, but I, I can rip through it. It goes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Excelsior in springtime, charcuterie. Secrets and blueberries, spongy walrus hat, fingernail <laughs> clippings. Like, they're just so fucking stupid. I love they probably had a chalkboard full of shit that he. This must have been a great episode for that actor to act out. Like, yeah. this is a, a funny moment where we can, I guess, a self deprecating moment for me. He says, Sir uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, after Margot says, like, Fen, you, you know, when you've been around as long as I have, you learn that something just aren't your problem. And I literally, my thought was, that he was saying like, oh, she's quoting Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like, you know, like giving her yeah. props that she knows literature. And then he says charcuterie. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. He's just speaking. He's in code. An idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's poetic as fuck that this guy has been like a writer, a man who is known for his words is just tongue tongue twisted for <laughs> centuries. Like he's literally been like that since Josh and Fen's reign ended. And that is just chef's kiss. So. After we have Elliot and Julia running and they get captured by the Dark King, the next time we see them is in the dungeon. They're, they're locked up in a cell and they're, they're kind of just both contemplating like Margot and Fenwer, how the hell is the Dark King still kicking? Like, how is he alive? And this is actually a really, really good Elliot and Julia scene where they're just lighthearted. I feel like they both have this connection to Q that makes them like surrogate best friends in a way because they were both so close to Q they kind of just already have that built in rapport with each other and Julia reveals to Elliot that she's pregnant and it's red monkey month so you know it's happening super quick and Elliot's just like I guess congratulations and they both have a good laugh at how like it's not a good thing that she's already eight and a half months pregnant. I love that she says in a slightly less dungeony timeline, I'd probably be asking you to throw me a baby shower right about now. Like, I love the friendship between these two. They were both possessed by the monsters. They have that that they can share with each other. I, Kyle, you pointed out a couple episodes ago how this show thrives and it's kind of like pairings. This is a great pairing, Elliot and Julia. And another reason why this show is great is basic reasons character development like these well at least elliot fucking despised julia season one i think and even in season two a little bit but like just seeing how they're from that point of just despising each other to now being very good friends talking about you know being parents and whatnot it's just it's just so nice to see yeah i'm, yeah. 
Honestly, I feel like all of the characters have just gotten to the point where they love each other. It's almost like in high school where freshman year, you come in, you're wide eyed and everybody kind of has like drama going on with one another, this, that and the other thing. And throughout the course of three years, you get to senior year and everybody's just like, we just love each other. It's senior year. We're feeling good. And that's where all our characters are at right now. I feel like they're just like all that stuff was so petty in the past. Like we're on team us now. We're all together. Yeah. Yeah, this is just a really nice moment of levity. I mean, Elliot's been pretty much depressed forever, it feels like at this point. I mean, the entirety of the season, you know, Elliot's been pretty much down in the dumps. And just the quote, you know, when he goes, how'd you get so pregnant? You know, he's like kind of, it's just like a funny little moment that they both kind of chuckle about. And he even, you know, contemplates planning a baby shower when last episode, you know, he's contemplating having to kill his lover. So it's just nice to see Elliot in this context even if it is only for a minute if that it's my fucking guy baby. yeah I love Elliot. elliot's closed mouth like throaty laugh is is just i die to see it but seb busts in is like oh am i interrupting something i'm glad you two are having a good time yeah and hey, you forgot about the sparkling cider or whatever or oh, what is it, sparkling yeah. water that gets you hammered <laughs> love that of course he knows a spell like that yep I mean, he worked hard enough on it when he was first High King. It's like, yeah. how many spit takes of champagne did he have in season two? Once Seb walks over, Julia's first question is, are you going to execute us? And Seb says, well, I can't execute you because I need your help, which will take us to the next scene. And it's just Elliot and Julia chatting. They've been released from their dungeon and are looking over what I guess was just Seb's notes with whatever he needed their help for. And they're also still kind of having this lighthearted conversation between the two of them as friends. Elliot says, oh, I attract the best guys, don't I? And Julia has such a good line, so reassuring, just so kind. He says, honestly, you attract pretty much everyone. And with that kind of mass appeal, you're bound to catch a few questionable monarchs. Come on. What what a perfect response. You better stop. You better stop. Gas my boy Elliot up a little bit more, please. Yeah. It's also just funny seeing the contrast between how Margot deals with Elliot saying that and how Julia does. Not that Margot does it in a necessarily bad way. She just does it in a Margot way. Yep. Which, you fuck you everybody. <laughs> it's, she says, he was hot and complicated. Those are the ones worth banging. And it's kind of yeah. like, yeah, that makes me feel a little better. But then Julia's is like, feels a lot more heartfelt. It's like, okay, wow. Like, thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah. I will say her. that when she said that quote, I thought of beat times. Why? Because B Tom's attracts a broad spectrum of chicks. <laughs> what you mean? I just chicks. I, go, I thought oh, you meant Jewel because that's like advice that B tags would give. Oh, no, like, that's what I was him. thinking too. I, Look I, at yeah. him. Slicks the hair back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I have more hair than I know what to do with right you now. It's, it it's an you issue. All right, Kyle, oh, Bank, you'll marry me, B Tags, and Dave right now. <laughs> That's an what impossible do I do? question. What do, I do? What do you do? Go. Bang, Dave, marry Dave. Kill knock, him. knock. Dave's on the back door. <laughs> Dave doesn't want to get married. <laughs> Should I let him in? <laughs> Is this real? Anyway. Nah, <laughs> Kyle's like, shit. 
I thought this was a cool part. Yeah, yeah. Julia recognizes Seb's notes oh. because she was grief Googling. She wanted to do a seance right after Q died, just like Alice did. So she recognizes one of the symbols on Seb's notes is a symbol that has to do with seances. So now we know what, what Seb is trying to do. He's trying to do a seance for who is anyone's guess, except for me, because I called Rupert Chatwin. So it's just a hop, <laughs> skip and a splash away from him doing a seance for his boy Lance. But whatever, I'm not doing a victory lap or anything. So we fast forward. This is where we kind of start to get our scenes in parallel it's gordy is examining plover for one last time saying oh yeah he's good to go and then he just gets out of there not before tripping over something gordy's just a mess so gordy's out and then we finally get plover is able to speak his mind and he's like wow it's been centuries that i've been infected it's so liberating to be able to speak and margo's like all right yeah that's great who is the dark king where does he come from how do we kill him hold on let me just say real quick how fucking well I guess he deserves it, but how fucking awful would that be to not be able to communicate with a single person in the world for 300 fucking years? It's poetic justice, baby. Fuck yeah, I mean, guy. it's definitely well-deserved, but geez, if that's like, if he was actually a good guy and that happens to you, like, oh my God, would you rather be that or Hyman? Um, that. Hyman, Hyman, Hyman. Bitches of a goofy goofball that can't speak any words. <laughs> like, You're that's basically crazy. going unnoticed either and way. And you can never, like, so... So Hyman can, you're stuck on the astral plane, quote unquote, can't die. Plover can't die, quote unquote, but he can't speak. I mean, either way. And you're yeah. a pedophile. Yeah, and you're a fucking pedophile. <laughs> Plover can interact with human beings. Yeah, Hyman sure. can't even feel anything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He can be a nickel at any time, bro. <laughs> no, he can't. Only Penny can, man. Yeah, yeah. He never got that. <laughs> yeah, Hyman's not on that level. No, he never no, got Hyman- a- he did because he's the one who's like, don't fucking go into the Margolem because like once something that has like, uh, I don't know. Oh, I you're thought right, he said right. he couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, no, he did it. He, he did. Tried. It. Mm-hmm. He he just, I mean, he it just didn't, didn't do, do it. Much. As, he, he wasn't <laughs> able to move the penny as much as Penny was. You know. God, I love when Penny has to keep going into the fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that they keep bringing Plover back because fuck him, but also like he's such an integral part. There's a scene that lives like rent free in my brain is when Plover is like savagely eating the Chinese food and like mm. signs the book. I think about it often. And Alice tells Quentin, oh, I, I killed Plover. I sent him away or whatever I did. I sent him to another world. Quentin is so confused with his brain. He's like, I know he's the fucking worst, but also like my whole life is basically off these fillery books. I just I love the complexity of it all. It's so good for me. And I guess going back to the uh, this actual story here, Margo is basically trying to get other questions out, like who is the Dark King? What do like what do you know about him? Blah blah blah. Plover's just like, look, I only know as much as you do. And as he's telling this story of his perspective of this, Fen is just yeah. on her fucking <laughs> knees. So this good, so invigorating. I love this story. And Margo is just sitting she's there, like, like <gasps> yeah, yes. she's so fucking happy. But um, she's like, you're such a good storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, so funny how she has no idea like who he actually is until a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Margo just when he said when she says that, Margo just looks at Fen, just ready to say shut up, Fen, one yeah. more time, definitely. It's the eyes. It's Margo's yeah. just fucking roll of the eyes, baby. She's trying to say it through the eyes. <laughs> this is just the perfect scene to show a Jimmy you used last uh, episode, I believe, saying that Fen is just pure. Like having a yeah. conversation with Fen is good because she just gives it to you straight. She doesn't know it any other way. And yeah. this is just pure. That's the word I would use to describe Fen in this scene. 
let's run through the story he's telling, right? He's saying the Dark King showed up shortly after the arrival of the Takers. And so he thought, who is this magician? So we sought him out and he was shocked to realize I knew him. And he's like, I fucking hate this guy. But I like that he's telling a new story of Fillory. Like, does he threat? It's his whole life. Like, he thrives off this shit. So he says, if you want to understand where he's coming from, you have to go to look at a time before Martin Chatwin became the beast. And Margo's like, oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> but this long... is where we get the back and forth, too. Between yeah, yeah so... this is the, the first. Story. It's yeah. the first cut to Seb, Julie, and Elliot preparing to cast the seance. Uh, keep going with the quote, Kathleen. No, it's good. Because um, now it's just a voiceover. Yeah, so long before he discovered the wellspring, Martin had another plan to make sure he never got sent to Earth. He had a conduit spell to tie him to Fillory. I want to, like, go back a quick second to last episode because Kyle... Kyle, what was your call? That the World Tree, Rupert right? Rupert World Tree. Okay, cool. I, I just want to like keep that on the board because I, I like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, so the cooperative spell is happening with L, Julia, and Seb. They don't think it's going to work, and Seb's like, it will. Yeah, and so the tree didn't work because, uh, I love this, all the trees in Fillory are connected. So, like, chopping down the tree to kill the Dark King didn't work because they're all connected. They all t- intertwine, and then in in so, like, they are tied to Fillory itself, and the only way is to destroy Fillory. Like, the only way he can be stopped is to literally destroy Fillory, which is, like, so fucking dope. And but, Ben questions that, too. She's like, yeah. I'm Fillorian, and I've never even heard of that. Yeah. So, Margo asked what so martin tried to do this conduit thing and he screwed up and plover's like no he was thwarted by his own brother rupert rupert sebastian chatwin oh boom Mike swish, three swish, points, swish, yeah. baby gods what a twist you're such a natural yeah. it's good stuff yeah ben is so great here so yeah, Rupert tied himself to the conduit before Martin could, and this made Martin furious, so he cursed Rupert with an eternal sleep. He said, you know, he didn't want to kill his brother, so this is what he did. That explains why Rupert hasn't been involved in this story for a very long time. And then he says that, you know, why did he wake up? You guys brought these magical surges with you, and they were strong enough to wake Rupert up from his eternal sleep. This is also where we get in parallel. They successfully cast the seance, and Elliot kind of starts freaking out, and we later learn that he is becoming possessed. He doesn't need to be possessed anymore, man. Yeah, he's seriously. Yeah, he's had his honestly. fair share. This is where we get the flashback of Lance and Rupert that Brian called out before as his receipts. And I, I just want to say one thing. I love that scene when Penny is trying to get the dad to say his name. And he's like, that's not a name. And he's like, yeah. My name. yeah. And he not starts beating the shit out of him. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell is going on with this guy? <laughs> and, you know, it's funny that he says, you know, that's not my name. And it's a, probably around the time. You know, or what? No, it's like what 1940s ish. It's around World War II, something like that. Or they're a little younger. But it's just funny that Hyman in this episode doesn't call him Penny; he calls him Penbroke. Penbroke, yeah. Because that would be the name that he would have. Penny's <laughs> yeah. not a name. Penbroke is a name. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lance is like a dramatic little bitch, don't you think? Oh like, yeah. When, when he gets an- when Elliot's animated as Lance, I'm like, okay, pussy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get over, it, bro. You've been dead for 300 plus years now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Imagine being dead for 300 plus years, coming back and, you know, your experience is that it's cold and you're all alone and you have Kathleen calling you a pussy. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's been waiting by the phone for 300 years. He finally gets the call. (laughs) 
I just want to say that this is another reason why I love the magician so much is that especially in this season too, is that they're able to tie in so much of the plot and lore that we've already experienced in season one and two and just make a full circle on introducing these characters as actual characters and them being huge, not even just characters, but being villains and, you know, main plot drivers. So that's just another thing that I love about the magicians, especially in this season. I mean, we get our answer basically of why he's bad, right? Like he he did it he did it for love. To quote Jamie Lannister, the things we do for love. You know what I'm saying? I heard that. I know Kathleen. You said that you know you already gave props to the whole the roots are intertwined and you know, the trees are actually one. I just really like the way that Plover says it. You know, he says there are many, but in truth, only one. This is one of the last times that Plover ever gets to use his mouth, or I guess rather he gets to speak. Unfortunately. But uh I just thought I mean he just has obviously has a way with words he is a writer. I just like the way he said that. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, we we have Lance <laughs> reanimates Elliot's body and embraces Seb. Julia, I thought it was cool that Julia recognized him immediately because she was with Q in that ghost loop experience uh but lance says like you said kathleen it's cold here i'm so alone and seb is just like hey i know it's been a long time but keep waiting by the door like he just keeps stressing wait by the door and he says he finally knows how to fix everything and we have not become privy to how he is going to physically fix lance being dead yet so i guess that's kind of the next phase of his plan but yeah that that's kind of the big revelation scene that's seb has that issue and I know a guy. Yeah, <laughs> Dal knows a guy. I know a guy. So, but I just I'll, I do I want to do want to stress again, Jimmy, what you were saying is I can't believe that fucking Elliot, especially in his like in his prime right now, he's feeling good. You know, he's got a connection with Julia, and he just goes right back to being possessed. Like fuck that man. That he's gonna be, he's so, gonna be like God. I remembered all three hundred mm-hmm. years of of being dead. <laughs> <laughs> My life sucks. I'm, I need a drink. <laughs> How many lifetimes is this? guy gonna live man uh yeah kyle anything to add to that i was i was so not surprised by the reveal but it it was pretty cool (laughs) i guess for the normies that maybe didn't see it coming i guess it was pretty cool if you want some natural reactions ask kyle he's the rook that like didn't buy in (laughs) yeah i wasn't surprised at all (laughs) whoa whoa, whoa. you thought it was todd so i mean come on that that wasn't gonna work out and I mean, B. Toms has said it multiple times, and every time he said it, I agree. It makes more sense than a rando. Do you think so it would have been? I wasn't surprised because B. Toms gave such good evidence. This is hard to. This is a hard question to ask because of yeah. the hindsight and everything. But do you legitimately think that without being on the podcast talking all this stuff through, do you think you would have made that claim? No. I wouldn't yeah. have tried. I wouldn't yeah, have what, cared enough to like me and that's like me and Kathleen were saying, like yeah. we were just kind of watching the show, enjoying it as it came, episode by episode, and then when we got the reveal, it was huge. But when we have to talk, when we have to break down episodes like this day in and day out, like, of course, we're going to pick up on some things. And who better than Bingetown TV to pick up on those things? Yeah, yeah, I mean, just the act of note taking. I mean, I don't take notes when I watch television (laughs) any other time, you know, so I wouldn't have like the Carnival Road thing. I would have never got that and went so deep into that if we weren't on a podcast. I would have. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Kathleen's was just hilarious. (laughs) And I'm not, we can't say it because we got some people who haven't seen Carnival Row yet. We cover Carnival Row. We do cover it. 
<laughs> and I love it so much. Laura Layla. Laura Layla. 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 Finish Town Acapella coming soon. Yep. Also, don't have Ben Kilmary, so think we'll brainstorm. F- we'll figure, oh, dude, Tags figured out his in three seconds last week. I know, that was awesome. <laughs> ben Kilmary, Alice's three fingers. Is this four? We can't do it. Give me that ring finger. I want to fuck that ring finger. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's going to be the end of the outro. Yeah. You, you can, you the can give finger. me the stinky pinky, baby. Yeah, you got to marry the ring finger, and then you got to bang the middle finger yeah. because that's the longest no. one. Well, okay, <laughs> well, okay. we're going to, me and the middle finger are going to have sex because the middle yeah. finger is going to bang oh, me. Actually <laughs> saved, actually that voice crack actually, was perfect. We should have actually saved this for the BKM. Because then we just all <laughs> oh, kill the pinky. this is going in the podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? So we got two more scenes to get through here <laughs> before we can wrap this episode up. Um, and they're pretty quick ones. The first one is Seb going to Julia to ask how Elliot is doing. Elliot is still unconscious. Oh my gosh, unconscious since Lance took over his body. And Julia just says, you know, I've lost someone that was important to me too, but it's no excuse to hurt people. And Seb bites right back and says, well, you must not have loved them enough because, you know, I need to get him back. Yeah, it hurt me. I was personally (laughs) offended. It's like, you don't know fucking Quentin Coldwater like all of us do. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. With yeah. Shit. DK is just in denial. He's got to know he's doing something wrong. And now he's just putting all his chips into it. So he's going down slippery slope. It was almost like the show knew that they were making him too morally ambiguous to us. Yeah. Because last episode was kind of like our whole conversation was, is this guy actually bad? And then he yeah. has to bad mouth Quentin to Julia's face. And now it's, I mean, fuck this guy. Fuck Seb. <laughs> All my homies hate Seb. I'll tell you one thing. Quentin Coldwater's rolling in his grave with fucking Rupert, his own Rupert Chatwin shit talking him right now. Like, what's, oh what's, God, Ru- what's Rupert's, uh, what's Rupert's boy's name again? Lance. Lance. Q's keep kicking the shit out of Lance <laughs> in the underworld right now. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. Nice. And our final scene from this episode is going to be Plover, Fen, and Margot. Plover just says, as you see, Fillory will never be safe so long as the Dark King reigns. He also reveals that Rupert was the one who originally cursed him with the tongue twister centuries ago. He says, you know, Rupert never really cared for me. And Margot asks, what are you going to do now that you have your freedom? And he says, oh, I'm going to go out into the world. You know, there's not a safe spot for me in Fillory. I'm going to start writing again. I have plenty of adventures adventures to share and marco just gets that jug out lift the cork and the bugs go swarming back into him thank god we couldn't let this pedophile go free exactly i mean technically he's still free he just can't speak so. yeah i mean hey, that's just... his thing though and that's... it's way worse it's way worse being thing, in the actual though. it's way worse being in the real world like that and not and compared to fillery i would assume he can't a... write either he'll be in an asylum that is true. Why? It's a tongue twister. Your tongue. You don't use your tongue to write. He's got tongue twisters in his brain hole. It's fucking up his brain hole. I think he'd be writing everything he's saying, too. I think you're projecting. No, I think it's <laughs> actually a good point to bring up, Kathleen. I think actually that would that has to fuck up his writing, right? If he could write, I changed my answer to if he can just be like on a cho- on our chalkboard being like, hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> yeah. Hillary? Yeah. What's true. up? And then he could have just written down everything about the dark. If Humble Drum can read, I don't know. I disagree. But yeah, we send, <laughs> we send Plover off to uh, be a fuck for the rest of his life. 
<laughs> right into from, from All right. Any fuck. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, Fen's defending him. He's like, did you really have to do that? He seems so nice. He seems like such a nice pedophile. <laughs> He's grooming you, Fen. You act like you're 12. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, really? So it's sinister. Yeah, it's what really a great sinister. way to end it. What do you guys as the rooks think now that we have a whole situation where it's either let Rupert live or destroy all of Fillory? I think Rupert's just got to chill with the whole taker situation. Like if you take the takers out of it and he just has Lance back, I I still don't think he's an inherently bad guy. Although Kyle, you kind of brought up a good point where up until this episode, he's been morally ambiguous and now they're kind of portraying him to be like a straight up villain, but it all depends on depends on what his solution is to bring Lance physically back into the real world. If that doesn't impede on everybody else's good time, then he can just have Lance the takers and just drop his shit with the takers and he'd be okay. But it it can't be as simple as that. I mean, there's no actual explanation yet how Lance and the takers are connected and why even does the takers. So we don't even know that part of why he's good or bad. Well, I thought the takers were just to parlay him into the high King role. Yeah, I mean, but then yeah. why does he need to be High King just to get Lance back? Like, we still don't know any of that. Yeah. I don't envision a happy ending. You know, I don't think that Lance just comes back to life and everyone's chill with it and everyone lives happily ever after. I don't see that happening. If Q can't come back, Lance can't come back. He, Q it brings Alice back, and it's not perfect, but it does work. And she's at least a Niffin, so it's not like she's dead dead are you talking yeah yeah so it's, it's a just little, it, yeah. it would just seem too perfect if yeah you know, he just comes back without a hitch and people oh yeah 100 like, okay, i agree i think we actually have our bkm we do me, do and, me and dave had a nice little collab right then that yeah, was lit. off mic we were that talking. was lit <laughs> um so we came up with our three <laughs> i couldn't even theme it is just side charlton, characters maybe sure. charlton hyman and gordy Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. There we go. We got a good response from that. (laughs) Anyone want to take it? Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. So I'm going to kill Gordy. He's like a dope. He's just kind of like a screw up. I feel like I I wouldn't want to be around that guy. So yeah, now all Ixnay Gordy. I'm going to marry Charlton because between the two, Charlton's got a good moral compass. He's trying to help Elliot out. Just, Just a great guy, if not centuries misplaced. And then I'll bang Hyman because our boy's seen a lot, but can he put it? Can he put all his theoretical knowledge? Can he put it down on you? To the test. Yeah, can he? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll bang Hyman and yeah. <laughs> I'll go next. I'm gonna marry Charlton, just like you said. Um, I think he's smart and inquisitive. If he was in our real world, like without the only thing he knows is like 1,200 years ago. So I think like get him a little more exposure to our world. I think he'd be pretty dope. Some new clothes, maybe. I'm going to bang Gordy because he's a goof. And I think he'd be fun and stupid. And <laughs> I love that. And a guy <laughs> fun and fucking stupid. And then I'm going to kill Hyman. <laughs> I love that guy. Um, but he's the worst. Yeah, He's truly the worst. And I don't think he could put his money where his mouth is at 
all. I think he just he's uh, anxious and no, no. I'll no. follow it up. Because, okay, you can follow Dave. Uh, yeah. Just because I completely agree. Like yeah. you know, Charlton's a a gentleman almost. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's a good guy. Whereas, and yeah, I like the I like the goofiness that Gordy has yeah. to as the offer. So I'm in for that. And yeah, Hyman's just a what is he astral plane ghost pervert actually yeah. projected yeah whatever yeah. it is yeah. yeah so i'm a, i'm in an in on kathleen's choice as well yeah i'm gonna marry charlton he's a hopeless romantic he'll he'll treat me right you know we already know that he's a good guy um i'm banging i'm banging gordy yeah, pretty much you guys gordy. you said you said he'll make me laugh dude he's so <laughs> stupid i'll be laughing and shit i don't even know if it's gonna be because he's dumb or because i just he's just funny and i'm i'm killing Hyman because like you guys said i really think that he's just one of those guys that's he's he's watching from afar but if it came to the real deal he'd choke up <laughs> you know yeah fuck he Hyman. would totally choke but not fuck Hyman because we love yeah. him <laughs> <laughs> yeah kill uh, Hyman. we'll keep the streak going because I also am going to marry Charlton. Anybody that can get down and be that agreeable with Elliot and have a good relationship with Elliot, I would like to get to know them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill Hyman because of all the reasons you guys listed. I just, I don't think about him that way. You know, we're just kind of boys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't we're think about him sexually. But, but you think yeah. about Gordy that way, though, right? Oh, yeah, I totally think about Gordy that way. Gordy's hot. He gives yeah, he's hot. That, He's got that kind of, you know, quirky vibe going. And He's a doctor. You know, I like the pillow talk. You know, we're pillow talking. And Gordy would give me a little bit better pillow talk. <clears throat> I like yeah. I'm not. He's a doctor because, you know, maybe, maybe marrying a doctor wouldn't be a bad thing. You what's know? He, what's he, he say definitely is. Oh, I was going to say, he. I mean, he's a doctor. He should know where my G-spot is, but maybe not. <laughs> he's like, he's like he knows, no, he knows no one where... at is going to laugh at me again. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm surprised that all of you killed Hyman or if that I'm surprised that I chose not to kill Hyman because in hindsight, he's a terrible dude. Maybe I just don't it's care. It's on paper it was, already. It's the, it's the curse of going first. So you don't realize. Yeah. All of the, yeah. That's why, yeah. I stand by it though. I, I didn't, I didn't fuck freak. with Gordy. Nah, he was just, I don't know. Gordy was val- too much for me. You gave valid reasons too. So yeah, you all, I, I will love, take I it. love going after UB Toms because you always bring up some excellent points for the yeah. bank. <laughs> we'll take it. Easy. Yeah, and B Toms, when it comes down to it, I mean, you attract basically everyone. And with that brought up in the field, yeah, you're you bound go. to magnetize a couple questionable guys. My God. Go. I just want to marry Kyle. That's my bank. He'll marry for the rest of the season. I'm marrying Kyle. If Let's go. If we didn't think of what I was going to say, Brian, Kyle, and Dave, you <laughs> couldn't say Jimmy because he's my brother, so I couldn't participate. But- yeah. With you three, we could participate, which would be fun, but I guess we won't. So <laughs> this is week. save it for the season. <laughs> yeah, this has been an interesting episode. Keep an eye out for our continued coverage of the magicians. We're going to be covering each episode of season five week by week. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BingetownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. Up, dog. Peaches and plums, motherfuckers. Cello. After good, peaches and good. plums, it's totally going to be Kyle saying that he's getting fucked by the, the, <laughs> big, the finger. <laughs> the <little> finger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the voice crack to it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 